turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning again, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We are continuing in a series uh, dealing with a book that was published by myself last year called Homecoming. How the mystery of the new covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about um, how is it that the Christian Church lost its Hebrew foundation. And um, picking up at page uh, two sixty eight, um, I explained that we Gentiles need to come to grips with some of. God's unfolding reality is right here in front of us, right here and right now. Um, but I said initially, first we need to study some biblical history. How do we get here? Excuse me. There is a progression. Uh, I write on page 269. In the Hebrew covenantal relationship between God and Abraham established way back in the book of Genesis. And if you go back and study Genesis uh, chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 26, and Genesis chapter 28, you're going to see about how this um, series of covenants progressed. And uh, it involved um, the initial former Gentile who became Jewish because of this covenant named Initially, his name was Abram, and then it turned into Abraham. Uh, God changed Abraham's identity to his new identity, which was father of many nations. And uh, but it continued to uh, uh, Jacob, and then later to Isaac, um, the descendants of Abraham. And that's why there are five different chapters in Genesis that you need to study, which I just mentioned. Uh, But I bring up in the book that it's in this progression of the Hebrew covenantal relationship that determines what are the parameters and what is the timing of God's restorational outline for this earth in which we live and for all of mankind. Uh, I mentioned that this is a Jewish story, and it reveals God's hourglass, or if you will, his clock countdown for the ultimate judgment, the ultimate destruction, and the ultimate replacement of a competing kingdom called um, the fallen angelic, I might say here hordes, H-O-R-D-E-S, of Satan himself. And he began the spiritual rebellion that we can see in Isaiah chapter 14 and again in Ezekiel 28. This problem that we have, the sin problem that we have um, now on earth, uh, did not originate with man. It originated as a spiritual problem in the second heavens, and that's why it's important to read Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verse, beginning at verse 12, go to the end, and then again um, Ezekiel uh, 28, beginning at verse 14, going to the end. And that will give you an idea of how uh, this rebellion against God and his plan and his ways of putting man in charge of the material creation, how that whole thing got started. And um, 
Satan is well aware of his ultimate condemnation to the pit of Hades. Uh, Yet in spite of his clear destiny of fiery judgment, he is desperately continuing to try to thwart his day of judgment by killing off the nation who serves as God's time clock, who serves as God's hourglass. It's the nation and the people of Israel. And they function as the first and second hands of God's time clock. So I mentioned in page 269, even after the great flood to destroy uh, the grave evil of mankind, which was related to uh, the 8th and ninth chapters of the book of Genesis, the descendants of Noah continued on, unfortunately, with their inclination towards evil. And we can see that. That picks up in Genesis chapter 11, which shows us that man's rebellion against God continued to proceed in the form of constructing a tower, which was to reach up into the heavenlies and eventually to God. And the motivation of building that tower was to man for, or for man to share in God's power, but without any desire for relational experiential unity uh, between God and man. In other words, uh, the desire was for God's power, but without having the concomitant relationship with God. This Tower of Babel construction rebellion did not end with the participants' destruction. Rather, it ended with their being separated when God caused their uh, solitary language to be confused initiating their being divided, their division into several diverse groups, and God's plan to bring back his scattered children of the separate nations included later to create a distinct people group through whom he would reveal his nature and his character. And through God forming a covenant relationship with a soon-to-be former Gentile named Abram, Um, all of the families of the earth would eventually be blessed. You can see that in Genesis um, chapter 12, verse 3. Now, why are we talking about this? Because God has never changed his mind about what he did with assigning man, mankind, an immense amount of authority, virtually plenary authority, to rule and reign over the material creation, to keep it, to tend it, and to steward it. And um, after the fall of Genesis chapter 3, unfortunately, mankind hands over this authority to have dominion over the material creation to someone who was never intended to have this type of status or this type of uh, position or this type of authority in the material creation, our first parents handed over their authority over the material creation to a fallen angel who began a rebellion against God in the heavenlies. And again, that's why I refer you to read Isaiah uh, and read Ezekiel. And I will explain to you. I think it's Isaiah uh, chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28. And so everything pretty much blows up from this um, idyllic uh, setting with God and man uh, enjoying the garden together, God and man working together to, as God created animals, he assigns Adam the privilege to say, hey, you name these animals um, as they are created. You can see that in chapter 2 of Genesis. And they're partnering together. They're working together. Of course, God is the head. We get that. But God is assigned to the first, um, his first children uh, an immense amount of permission and authority to, to reflect his nature, to reflect his character, to take on his likeness so that we can reflect his nature and character. But unfortunately, because of that mistake, um, we're still paying the consequences. Now, 
I indicated here on page 269 in Genesis 17, look at the first 21 verses of Genesis chapter 17, uh, Abram's name would eventually be changed to Abraham, signifying that he was to be the father of many nations. What's interesting is that when you talk about the importance of covenant in the Judeo-Christian walk, oftentimes Gentiles, people of the nations, uh, as we're called, will give you this funny, puzzled look like, why would covenants in the Old Testament have any relevance to what's going on in the New um, Testament, the New Covenant? And the answer is um, everything, (laughs) because if we don't understand God's original blueprint designed in Genesis 1 and 2, how everything got destroyed by letting um, rebellious angels come in and basically blow up all of God's uh, original purpose for earth and and mankind. And in essence, um, if we don't understand how God's plan all along was to set up um, a blueprint of restoration, a blueprint whereby through restoration mankind would come again to be reconciled to God. Um, but it had to be through, this is what Father God's plan was, was through a Messiah who was going to not just be God, but he was going to be the Son of God and, and this is really important, the Son of Man. Why is that important? Because the material creation was created for man, not for fallen angels, as we have ceded over our authority to these angels to control earth. This is crazy when you think about it, what we have put up with all these, all these thousands of years. And so there's a new delineated land, security in the land, and all of its Uh, accompanying blessings would be the portion of this distinct people group that's going to come about through the lineage of Abraham and of Sarah. And through a series of promises, a series of of compacts or contracts, but they're even more deep than just an ordinary contract. A contract deals with... um, bargaining for goods and services, this type of thing. These covenants are way more profound. These are covenants that are based on relationship between two individuals, and in this case, between God reaching out to mankind. And these are a series of covenants. They were initiated by God, um, and through those covenants, Father Abraham's descendants— would become a great and a holy nation through whom all of the nations of the earth would eventually be blessed and eventually be brought back to God. And so I turn your attention uh, specifically there to Genesis 26, Genesis 28, Genesis 35, and then go on over um, when you're finished with those, look at Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 62. Through the seed of Father Abraham, a deliverer, a Messiah, if you will, would come first to the nation of Israel to basically rescue us from the oppression that was opened and allowed in, given access by our original parents in Genesis chapter 3. And so we need a deliverer, we need a savior, someone who's going to rescue us from the hands of those who hate us, as Zechariah prophesied at, at the circumcision of John the Baptist. You should really check out that prayer in the, um, the latter part of Luke chapter 1, where Zacharias, the uh, curse on his tongue has come off, and um, the Holy Spirit shows up and starts prophesying um, through Zacharias, I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's pretty amazing. I think I'm going to read it to you in the complete Jewish Bible. And um, this is by David Stearns. We're going to go over to uh, Luke chapter 1. And it begins at uh, page 
page six, I'm sorry, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, talking about John the Baptist's father, was filled with the, as what they call the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and spoke this prophecy. Here it is. Praise be Adonai, the God of Israel, because he has visited and has made a ransom, listen, to liberate his people. Isn't that interesting? Because we always talk in Gentiles' language about salvation. And when we hear about the word salvation, we also usually think of transportation from point A to point B. In other words, from going from earth to heaven. But notice the flavor of the Holy Spirit speaking through the father of John the Baptist. And he's basically setting up what is going to happen through these covenants? What is going to happen when God sets up this um, unique people of God, called out by God, who are going to act as a prototype, if you will, um, and a, an example to the rest of the nations on how to have a restored, a reconciled, a regenerated, a resurrected relationship from the earlier rupture of that relationship between God and man in Genesis chapter 3. So here is Zechariah prophesying um, through the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, this God of Israel has visited and has made a ransom. You pay a ransom to get somebody out from a hostage situation. You pay a ransom to liberate someone who is a captive. So Understand this language here. It's not talking about traveling from point A to point B, from earth to heaven. It's talking some about kingdom. Very, very, very different focus. Don't forget the material creation was not made for fallen angels. The material creation was created by Father God for man, for mankind, for humanity to keep it, to tend to it, to steward it, to protect it. And we need some rescuing. We need some deliverance. We need some saving from this uh, oppression and imprisonment that we have allowed to come in to the material creation ever since Genesis chapter 3. And basically, this is talking about a reconquest plan that Father God has to redeem not just the earth, which is mankind's inheritance, but also the people of the earth to redeem us, to save us, buy us back from someone who has taken us captive. So let's see if you can figure out who that someone is as we read on here. We're in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. This Again, to set this, um, the stage, this is um, Zechariah preaching through the Holy Spirit at John the Baptist's um, circumcision. So, praise be Adonai, the God of Israel, because he has visited and has made a ransom to liberate his people by raising up for us a mighty, look at the word here, deliverer, deliverer, who is a descendant of his servant, David. There's another Covenant. We're not going to talk about the Davidic covenant today, um, but just to show you that the lineage of this human Messiah, his human divine Messiah, is going to come from the lineage of not only Abraham, but specifically of David, the kingly lineage, because he's going to return as a king to rule over the nations. Okay, so we go on to the next verse, verse 70. It is just as he has spoken. Through the mouth of the prophets from the very beginning, that we should be delivered from our enemies and from the power of all who hate us. Can you see how this is very different in the Jewish sort of Hebrew focus that all the, the covenant system is to establish a roadway? is to establish a pathway on how to bring separated, detached mankind 
back into a connected and unified relationship with the Godhead. That's what it's all about. And so we're talking about deliverance from somebody who has intervened and intercepted and has a, has been an interloper, if you will, to remove us relationally from the from our Father God who created everything and placed us in authority over part of that creation, which is the material creation, earth and its environs. Okay, so I'll read 70 again. It is just as he has spoken through the mouth of the prophets. These are Hebrew prophets, by the way, okay, from the very beginning. This shows you, when we study the Scripture, we have to study not just the last third of the Bible. We have to study the beginning, and we have to study the middle, <laughs> because we are not going to understand the context of what is going on in our immediate situation, and a lesson until we do. All right. So, through the mouth of the prophets from the very beginning, that we should be delivered from our enemies. Notice that has nothing to do with changing a location. Location change is not part of this. It's being rescued. It's being delivered. Okay? And from the power of all who hate us. You know, Yeshua his Jewish name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, did not come uh, to take us from point A to point B. That's, we made that up as Gentiles. I'm sorry, but that is Greek and Roman influence, Western thinking. Uh, that's Gnostic, Gnostic thinking. Um, and in essence, the Jews have always looked to this story about the Hebrew foundations with the covenant system to be a deliverance from somebody who intervened as a go-between between our relationship with our God. And he, he, he brought darkness. He brought death. He brought destruction. He stole our relationship that we had with God in, in Genesis 3.15 and our inheritance of what was given to us in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Our inheritance wasn't heaven. Our inheritance was the material creation of earth. And as we study the Scripture, we're going to see that the Scripture has more and more of a circular sort of story rather than a linear straight line story. So let's go to the, on to the next verse, verse 72. This is still uh, the Holy Spirit prophesying through Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. This has happened so that he might show the mercy promised to our fathers that he would remember his holy covenant. Which covenant is that? The Abrahamic covenant. That he swore before Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, freed from our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Do we talk like that in Gentile circles? Do we understand the story of why Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, was sent here? In 1 John 3.8, it says the purpose for which he came was to do away with the works, plural, works of the devil. Check it out. First John 3, 8 says that for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested to do away with the works of the devil. It has nothing to do with being transported from point A to point B. We need to be rescued from the oppression and the power over us. It's kind of like a rescue that you see with Passover, with the Jews getting out from under the tyranny of Pharaoh, the slavery of Pharaoh, the power of Pharaoh. We'll go on. Verse 76, you child talking to John the Baptist from Zechariah, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way by spreading the knowledge amongst his people. Here it is again. That deliverance comes by having sins forgiven through our God's most tender mercy and which causes the sunrise to visit us 
from heaven to shine on those in darkness who live in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Wow. You know, what's really interesting is to do a a study of Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 68 to the end, and then compare in, just go over to Luke chapter 4, a few pages away, and see what Jesus announced when he began his ministry and how similar it sounds to the Holy Spirit speaking through the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, at the circumcision of John the Baptist. It's amazing when you study Luke chapter Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 68 to the end, and then go over to Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16 through verse 19. Actually, you can go all the way through 20 on that. When we get back after the break, I'm going to read how Jesus announced the beginning of his ministry, not in heaven, but down here on earth, bringing heaven to earth. See you after the break. God bless. Welcome back, saints. We are continuing on with our series on the book called Homecoming, and um, today's show is entitled, Why Did the Christian Church Disconnect from Its Hebrew Foundation? Um, We're trying to explain, (laughs) uh, we're trying to do the setup here of how God has a plan to redeem mankind, and it doesn't include um, transportation as the rescue plan. It it actually includes a deliverer coming to rescue us so that we can reconquer and reinherit our material world, our, the material creation here that God placed us in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So we're going to go on now. What we're doing is comparing how the Holy Spirit spoke through Zechariah, the father of uh, John the Baptist, at his circumcision, and it was basically a, a plan to liberate people, to send a deliverer, um, to deliver us from our enemies so that we might be freed from our enemies, so that we would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And so listen to um, this kingdom message when Yeshua, Jesus, is starting his uh, ministry. You know, the Jewish tradition was you had to be 30 years old into, before you became a, a rabbi, which means teacher. And uh, Jesus is in the synagogue as we go to Luke chapter 4. And he's announcing that he's ready to, he's come back from the desert. He's taken on um, Satan with the uh, t- the. Uh, Three Temptations of Christ, and um, he's ready because he was victorious. He was triumphant against um, Satan's attempts to um, basically bring down the Son of God in his mission. Satan failed, and you can study that in um, Luke chapter 4 at the uh, early verses, but I want to take you up to verse 16 when uh, after Jesus comes back from the desert, successful in defeating Satan, um, in verse 16, he says, he now, uh, now when he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on Shabbat, he went to the synagogue, as he usually did, and he stood up to read. And he was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and unrolling the scroll... He found the place where it was written. So we're going to begin at verse 18. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Jesus at this moment, dramatic moment. It says, The Spirit of Adonai is upon me. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Because he has anointed me 
Um, Messiah uh, is a Jewish word that means the anointed one, and w- what we say in um, Gentile uh, lingo, we say Christ, which is a G- Greek word for anointed one. And so whether you speak the, the Hebrew word or the Greek word, it's the same uh, significance, same meaning. Um, and then it goes on to the next line, verse 18, because he has anointed me to announce the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, here you go, freedom for the imprisoned. Doesn't that sound a lot like the Holy Spirit uh, when he spoke through Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, at John the Baptist's circumcision? Go back there and, and compare the language here. There's nothing about being transported, but there's plenty about being delivered from captivity. Okay, so check this out. I'll read that same line again. He has sent me, this is Jesus now, in the synagogue, announcing the beginning of his ministry on earth. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned and renewed sight for the blind. Listen to the next line. To release those who have been crushed. Wow. We're talking about freedom from imprisonment, being released from those who have been crushed. I think the uh, New King James uses the word oppressed. To proclaim a year of favor of Adonai. Same Holy Spirit, two different uh, individuals that he spoke through, but it's pretty much the same message. We need deliverance from the power of sin over us which separates us from God. Lawlessness, rebellion, and sin divides us, separates us, alienates us from having a relationship with God. So we're going back to page 270 here um, of the Homecoming book, the chapter is Solving the Mysterious uh, Construction Project, One New Man in Messiah. But the subtitle here is We lost our Hebrew foundation. How did that happen? And I go on to explain, through the seed of Father Abraham, a deliverer, a Messiah, if you will, would come first to the nation of Israel and then later to the nations of the earth. There are only two groups of people in the Bible. You're either of the Hebrew nation or you're of the people of the nations, which are called Gentiles, or as you would say in Hebrew, goyim. This Messiah would bring God's government back to earth on his shoulders. This is important now. We preach a message, unfortunately, in Gentile circles of the, the, an escapist gospel where we just need to get away from earth. We need to write off earth as a lost cause. Um, and we just need to get up to the sweet by and by, get up in the ethereal world, get up into the spiritual world where we will become perfect. Um, That's uh, Aristotle and and Plato and Socrates type of philosophy. That's that's what they were all about. The material um, creation is evil, and it's interesting. That's what the Greeks believed. We have bought into that as we've disconnected from our Hebrew roots. But that's not what Jesus, uh, when Father God made the earth um, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and later he looks at everything he made and he has an opinion. He has an opinion. He says, uh, the Father looked at everything he made and he said, not just that it was good, but his opinion when he saw the material creation, he said it was very good. Don't forget that. We can't forget that adjective of very before the word good. We cannot describe or explain the gospel message in a How would I say this? We cannot 
describe the gospel message using a Jewish paradigm, a Jewish framework, but then with the tools of interpretation, we use not a circular idea of returning to earth and going back to the original plan of God, but God had, Father God had for us initially. Uh, but we Gentiles, uh, unfortunately, have used different tools. To interpret a circle, we have used a straight line, which when you think about it, if you were in drafting class, that wouldn't make any sense. If someone gave you um, a circle, a compass, if you will, but a full compass, and, and said, interpret that circle for me, and here's the tool I want you to use. The teacher, if he gives you a straight line ruler, you would look at him uh, probably aghast, probably, as the English would say, gobsmacked or um, breathless, saying, I, w- that doesn't make any sense what you want me to do. Yet we have tried to do that for the last 2,000 years trying to interpret a circular Hebrew story of return, of family reunion, of coming back to something that was originally planned, and then using a straight line, oh no, we're going to write all that off of God's original plan for mankind and earth and just start over as if God made a mistake and say, oh, well, it didn't work out, so God will go to plan B, and then Father God will then try plan C and plan D. No, no. God doesn't change, and he doesn't make mistakes. This plan of restoration is all about what I'm going to read to you out of Isaiah chapter 9. So let me finish this in the book. This Messiah would bring God's government to earth, not bringing... God's people on the earth to heaven. The Messiah would bring God's government to earth on his shoulders, as it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, to extend the kingdom of God on the earthly creation. He would establish, as Messiah, the throne of King David through justice and then righteousness forever. I think I'm going to read that. Because, you know, we, we, we sing this um, at Christmas time, and we talk about, you know, uh, Jesus as um, the baby Jesus coming to earth, etc. But we really don't take uh, note of the Jewish context of what he is and what his role is as son of God and son of man simultaneously. I'll read it to you here, beginning at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us, I'm reading out of the New King James, a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's a capital S on son. And the government will be, on his, will be upon his shoulder. Now, government, what's government? It, government is kingdom. It's the king's domain. It's where God is serves, and operates as king. And this son of God is bringing God's government on his shoulder. And where are we? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's talking about bringing God's government to earth, not the other way around. Upon the throne of David, that's the Davidic covenant, and over his kingdom to order it and to establishment with justice and with judgment from that time forward, even forever, The zeal of the Lord's hosts will perform this. So, that sounds very differently than Jesus came so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Um, We've said in past shows, I'm still looking for that Bible verse that says that's the reason, that's the purpose for which Jesus came. I've seen lots of verses that say why he came. Um, There are lots of verses that say he came to 
reconcile us back to our Father. That's a very different goal than just dying and going to a place. We didn't lose heaven in the in the fall in the garden. We lost our Father. And so if you read, I'm just this is your homework. We've already had this on an earlier show. I'm just going to give it to you real briefly. Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, read the last seven or eight verses there, and you'll count how many times the word reconcile or reconciliation shows up as to the j- purpose for which Jesus came back to earth. Okay? So we said that earlier, First John 3, 8, it was so that he would destroy the works of the devil. But on the other hand, if you read Second Corinthians chapter 5, talking about reconciliation back with God, so many times at the end of... Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, count how many times the word reconcile shows up. That's why he came. Now, if you look at Galatians 3.16, as we're on page 270 of this book of Homecoming, um, it refers to the promises were made to Abraham. Now, I'm just going to read it. Uh, This is out of the complete Jewish Bible. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. Uh, It does not say, and to seeds, plural, as if to many. On the contrary, it speaks of one. It says, and to your seed. In Galatians 3.16, it says, and this is the way it ends, and this one is the Messiah. Those are the promises that Father God is going to send a rescuer, a deliverer, as we saw in Luke chapter 1, and Luke, again, Luke chapter 4, that is going to deliver us from the grasp of Satan, from the power of Satan over us in our lives, the power of sin, the power of rebellion, the power of death, the power of darkness. It's to bring us to life and to the kingdom of light and to bring us to obedience, which produces something called righteousness. Do you remember how uh, Luke chapter 1 ended? It's so that we can serve him in righteousness and holiness. Wow. It's because we're talking about a reunion of relationship back with God. That is the purpose of the, of the gospel message, union, union with God, not transportation to a location. If you look at Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16 on page 270, of the homecoming book, it says, this is Paul writing, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's out of the New King James. And then you go to the same verse in the complete Jewish Bible, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the good news, Paul writes, since it is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting, to the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. And I'm going to take a little uh, deviation right here. Um, It's important that we Gentiles understand that God had us in mind all along when he made the Hebrew covenants. It's not like we were second-class citizens or... um, that we don't have a role or a function in the restoration of God's kingdom back on earth. It doesn't mean that at all. But we have to understand what we joined when we signed on to giving our life over to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in essence, I'm going to challenge you. What you joined when you signed on for a covenant relationship with the Son of God, you basically were becoming something. I'm going to read um, here um, in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. The whole book of of Ephesians is addressed to Gentiles, written by Paul, the Jewish rabbi. He says, Therefore, now you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but rather your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of and members of the household of God. In other words, you're part of the family now. That's how 
intimate this new relationship with Jesus is. But he, but he wants to, in the next verse, in Ephesians 2.20, he wants to have you understand some history because you're joining a special family, but you better understand the roots and uh, the origins of the family. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, both Jewish, I would say, Jewish apostles and Jewish prophets, that Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. God's building a building here, and he's including you, in whom the whole building is being fitted together. What, why is God building this building with two groups of people, seemingly disparate people? The, the Gentiles, people of the nations, and the Hebrews, okay, to whom the gospel was first addressed. But we're now fellow citizens. We're members of the household of God. And we're being built into this building. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole building is being fitted together. It's fitted together how? God's building it with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. It grows into a holy temple of God. In other words, God's making you individually and corporately to be a place where he's going to dwell. He's going to live. Listen, look at verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you remember what we lost in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? We lost our relationship with Father God. Father God has a plan that he is reconstructing his family to be a dwelling place where he's going to live. That's very, very intimate relationship. We've talked about that in past shows, John 17. You can check that out. Read the whole chapter of John 17, especially verses 20 through 24, about what this journey is all about. The journey is about coming back to the Father, not dying and being transported to a place. All right, it also says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that when you basically became born again, you became part of the commonwealth of Israel. It says that in verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ before you became, before you became born again. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Well, now that means that you're no longer aliens. You're no longer strangers from the covenants of promise because they apply to you too. As we said earlier in the show, in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis uh, 17, you are mentioned as the ultimate beneficiary of God's covenants that he's making with Abraham and his lineage because out of his lineage is going to come our Messiah, who's going to rescue us from the hands of those who hate us, rescue us from Satan's maneuverings, Satan's tactics, Satan's strategy to bring death and destruction to us. All that Satan does is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Read Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry, what am I saying? Read John chapter 10, and Jesus points that out that Satan's three things of life are to simply to steal and to kill and destroy. So getting back to page 270, I mentioned that the book, if you take all the total of the books of the Bible, you will arrive at the number of 66. And I mentioned that at least it has 40 authors, and I mentioned that at least 39 of the 40 authors were all Hebrews. They were all Jewish. The writers of the New Testament, with maybe one exception, I said the writers of the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, with maybe one exception, were all Hebrews. They were all Jewish. The scriptures from the book of Genesis to the last book of the Bible of Revelation, all those scriptures, they're Jewish. The God of the Bible identifies himself in 2 Kings 22 and Matthew 15 and Luke 168 as the God of Israel. More than any other description, God uses God the Father uses that terminology to describe who he is, his identity. He's the God of Israel. Um, God's framework for the redemption of the earth's nations, us, Gentiles, um, is his dealings with the Jewish nation of Israel as a framework, as a prototype, as an example. 
The covenants, which include the new covenant, were made for initially for the Jewish people. Look at Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Look at Hebrews chapter eight, verses eight through ten. But then Messiah Jesus Yeshua, you ha- we have to acknowledge he was a Jew, and he will return as a Jew, but ju- a Jewish king, king of the Jews. In point of in point of fact, he will return, as it says in Mark fifteen, chapter two, as king of the Jews. And I mentioned that who does Satan fear? He doesn't fear a Gentilized form of Jesus. Who he fears? He fears and hates the God of Israel and his divine messianic Jewish son, Yeshua HaMashiach, that's his name in Hebrew, Jesus the Messiah, who will serve as a prophesied returning king. To do what? To just take us out of here? No. To displace and remove Satan's competing system of earthly governance once and for all. Messiah Jesus did not come to earth to set aside or annul the Hebrew law and the Hebrew prophets. He says this in Matthew 5.17. He says, I came to complete and establish and fulfill the Hebrew covenants, the law, and the prophets. The headquarters from which Messiah Jesus will rule on earth is located in Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. He is not going to rule the nations when he returns from either the city of Rome or the city of Athens. This is not a Gentile story. It's a Hebrew story, and we're included as Gentile children of the covenants. Are you ready for this membership of the Commonwealth of Israel as a co-heir with Messiah Jesus? It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We'll talk about more of this next week. Hope you have a ton of Simple Truth moments. God bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise.